Now, before I get into it, we'll, uh, we'll pray. I'll share a little history as we did last year, just a fresh reminder, and then we'll get into the topic of, of discussion tonight. So if you would with me, let's pray. Uh, Lord, we thank you for so much, Lord, and, and um, personally, I don't think I thank you enough uh, for all the things that, that you've done in my life and in our life as a, as a body of Christ, and there's so many things to be thankful for, uh, how you pro- provide for us uh, physically, financially, spiritually, emotionally, you truly are a good father, and you provide every single thing we need, uh, not always everything we want, but everything we need. Uh, Lord, and we just thank you so much for that. I pray that uh, this message um, in your word uh, would just really carry on, uh, not just through the night, but even into tomorrow, Lord, and we would be able to to just hear your heart uh, behind Thanksgiving and how we're supposed to respond. And Lord, we would we would glorify you in, in all that we find our hands to do. Lord, so give us grateful hearts. We love you in your name. Amen. All right. Uh, so, history of Thanksgiving. Um, it was back in 1620 that you had about 102 settlers leave from Plymouth, England to travel to the New World. Now, the reason that they traveled to the New World was specifically for religious freedom. That was the primary purpose. So, they ended up landing in Cape Cod, Massachusetts just before winter around November. It was about a 66-day journey, so think about it, two months on a boat crossing the Atlantic, pretty brutal, only to get there and recognize, obviously, that winter's right around the corner. So we see that about half of the people actually died that first winter, uh, but the other half, they made it to spring, and luckily, they were introduced to some Indians. Um, Specifically, there's one famous Indian that you may know of referred to as Squanto. He was an English-speaking Indian. The reason he spoke English uh, is because he was actually captured by English settlers previously. So he learned English, uh, but he didn't hold that against these uh, pilgrims. He helped them out and, and helped them plant crops, specifically corn. So later on, they had the corn harvest. Uh, this would be that next November, so about a year later, in November 1622, after the corn harvest, all these people are surviving, and, and a lot of it obviously was because of God's provision, but also using the friendly Indians to make this happen, so they were able to survive, and they had this three-day feast, so technically Thanksgiving should be a three-day feast in my opinion, uh, but that's originally uh, what it was when they originally started it. Now, Thanksgiving didn't become a national holiday for uh, over 200 years later. Actually, in around uh, the 1860s, uh, Abe Lincoln, he instituted it as a national holiday. And the reason he did it was because it was in the midst of the Civil War, right? So you have brother a brother, uh, brother killing brother, uh, just madness happening across the country. And he said, hey, let's get back to our roots. Why we initially came here, why our forefathers came here. It was for religious freedom and what he challenged the whole nation to do was to pray for those who were suffering, to pray for the widows uh, that came through the war, pray for the orphans, those that are now fatherless, pray for all these people that have been affected by the war, regardless.
regardless of what side you're on, Abe Lincoln, in his wisdom, he knew one thing, that only through God could he bring restoration to the United States after this civil war. So he brought God into the mix, really established Thanksgiving and it becoming a national holiday on prayer. (laughs) That was really one of the roots of it. In fact, I'll read part of his speech. He prayed this. He encouraged the nation to pray this. Commend to his, speaking of God, commend to God's tender care, all those who have become widows, orphans, mourners, or sufferers, and the lamentable civil strife, and to heal the wounds of the nation. This is really what it was about, is a prayer of unity, regardless of which side you were on. And again, remembering how the nation got established from these pilgrims, from these early settlers, their reason for coming to the new world wasn't just to... Um, it wasn't just to pursue prosperity. It was mainly to pursue religious freedom. That was the main point in why they came over. And at the same time, obviously, thanking God for his provision in their lives and being able to survive um, these, these new circumstances that they weren't familiar with. What it wasn't about was a turkey Okay, it wasn't about a turkey, right? And and honestly, uh, a lot of historians will say they probably didn't even eat a turkey on the first Thanksgiving. It's ultimately about being thankful for our religious freedom and God's provision. Okay, so the title of this teaching is being thankful for freedom, being thankful for freedom. This was the primary reason the pilgrims risked their lives. And many of them died for this cause. They risked their lives in the pursuit of religious freedom. This point number one, we're free to worship. We're free to worship. And this is big, and I don't think we understand how big this is. And I'm specifically talking about in this country. We're free to worship Christ in this country. Now, I'm not taking anything away from the fact that they've taken prayer out of schools and they're trying to kick God out of the country. I get all that. But in comparison, we have freedom to worship Jesus Christ in this country. That's a huge deal. And the reason that we're uh, given that freedom is because our forefathers uh, basically built the foundation of this nation on Judeo-Christian values. That's why. When you look at other religions, they don't allow for freedom of worship. When you look at religions that the primary religion in the country is, say, Islam, or even Hinduism, or Buddhism, you know what happens if they know you're worshiping Jesus? Nothing good. A lot of times, they'll kill you. There isn't religious freedom in many countries that practice these uh, other main forms of religion. And we all know about some of the things that are that that ISIS is doing across the world. They're like really out to get the Coptic Christians in Egypt right now to kind of start a revolution and ultimately throw uh, the government um, overthrow the government, but there's so many different stories that are so disturbing. And I was going to show you a video tonight, um, but I didn't know if there was going to be kids in the room. Um, so I decided not to, but I'm going to read you a little story of something that happened recently. This was written May 26th of this year. Okay. This is in Cairo, Egypt. Dressed in military fatigues, the gunmen waved down the bus filled with Christian pilgrims as it winded its way down a dusty side road in the desert of western Egypt, headed toward a monastery. 
Claiming to be security officers, the gunmen ordered the passengers to get out. They separated the men from the women and children and instructed them, them to surrender their mobile phones. They told the men to recite the Shahada, the Islamic declaration of faith. Basically, the Shahada is only Allah is God and Muhammad is his messenger. They're telling them to recant their faith, that they don't believe in Jesus and they believe in Allah and Muhammad. Okay, this is what they're trying to get them to force. They're trying to force these uh, Christians to do. So look what the men do. It says, when the men refused, the gunmen opened fire. At least 28 people were killed, several with a single shot to the head. According to the Egyptian authorities and relatives of the victims, several of whom were children, the attack on Friday in Menya province, 120 miles south of Cairo, was a cold-blooded escalation of sectarian violence targeting minority Christians that has left more than 100 people dead since December and shaken the country's government. They're just out killing Christians. Because they believe in Jesus. That's it. And they say, hey, if you don't recant your faith and say, no, we're, we're going to believe in Allah and Muhammad, you're going to be killed. When you look at what happens in other countries, many countries don't have religious freedom. There is few. There are few countries that actually have the religious freedom that we have. In many countries, the consequences for saying that you're a believer in Jesus Christ is literally... Your life. We're lucky to be able to worship Christ freely in this country. And we should be extremely thankful for it. But our freedom isn't just because our founding fathers decided that, hey, we need to give people freedom to worship whatever or whomever we want. We gotta, we gotta give people that privilege that they can choose the religion of their choice, whether it's Christianity or some other religion. The main reason isn't just because of what our founding fathers decided. Ultimately, the reason that we have freedom to worship Christ is because of what Christ did on the cross. And he says in John chapter 8 verse 36, in John chapter 8 verse 36, it says, whom the sun set free is free indeed. Literally, Christ has freed us from ourselves to be able to worship him, to pursue him. He says, I'm going to free you from your selfishness so you can pursue and worship me. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 12, Ephesians 3, 12, it says, or look at 11 for a little context. It says, according to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord speaking of uh, Christ crucified it says in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him that word access is also translated freedom the point is because of what Christ did on the cross we have access directly to God our freedom to worship actually cost Christ his life it literally, our freedom to worship Christ cost him his life without the cross. We don't have the fullness of that freedom to worship Jesus. There's a barrier between us and the Lord because of sin. But because of what Christ did, we're 
able to worship him. We have free access, but there's still a choice. And this was a, this was one of the reasons the founding fathers said, Hey, you're free to worship what, whatever religion you want to. The hopes was for many of them, and they weren't all Christians, but a large majority of them were. The hopes was that people would choose to worship God in God we trust, right? Uh, and, and ultimately accept Jesus Christ. But they knew they couldn't force people to accept Jesus Christ. They knew they couldn't force it on them. Rome tried that with Constantine. It didn't go well. You can't force someone one to be a christian okay it doesn't work they have to recognize that they have a a choice they have freedom to choose christ and and we have freedom too we have freedom to worship christ we have to make the decision do i want to be a worshiper of jesus christ or not do i want to worship christ today or not jesus has several encounters with 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 encounters with many different people uh, and one, in Matthew chapter 19, we see this encounter he has with this guy. We call him the rich young ruler, right? And the rich young ruler, he's called the rich young ruler. Why? Well, because he was rich and he was young. Okay, he had a lot of stuff, had many possessions. And he basically asked Jesus, what do I have to do to get saved? And Jesus basically, through a series of questions and dialogue, ultimately said, hey, give all your stuff away to the poor and follow me. What was he asking him to do? Lay down your idols because you can worship no other God before me. So you either worship me or you worship the lifestyle that you're practicing now. And what happened? The rich young ruler, he had a choice to make. What choice did he make? It says he walked away sorrowfully, meaning the first step he took, he was He was experiencing regret. He knew right off the bat he was making the wrong decision because he didn't want to give up his idol. He didn't want to give up his possessions. He didn't want to give up his lifestyle. Jesus, he gave him a choice. Obviously, in the rich young ruler's case, he made the wrong choice. God gives us the choice. He gives us the freedom to worship him or not worship him. But here's the interesting thing. Not only... Do we have freedom to worship Christ? But the only way to experience freedom is to worship Christ. That's the trick. He says, you can freely worship me, but if you really want freedom, you got to worship me. Either we experience bondage and continue to live lifestyles that, that we're bound to and continue to commit the same sins over and over again and worship our lifestyles that are contrary to the word of God, or we choose to worship Christ. The Bible says that we're slaves. The Bible says that we're slaves no matter what choice we make. Let me show you. In Romans chapter 16, in Romans chapter 16, sorry, verse, sorry, Romans 6, 16, my bad. Romans 6, 16, it says, Paul writes, do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin, there's two options, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. Meaning, Paul's, Paul's saying that we've been all, we've all been born into slavery and every single human being has literally been born into the bondage of sin. So we can choose to continue to be slaves to sin or instead we can choose to be slaves to Christ. The trick is the only freedom we'll ever experience is choosing to be a slave to Christ because only through Christ can we be freed from ourselves. So he says, hey, you want freedom? 
It ultimately comes down to being a slave because I'm a good master and I love you and I want you to experience freedom, but it's only going to come through relationship with me that's expressed through obedience. You choose what you're a slave to. Paul says we're going to be a slave to something regardless. The cool thing, though, is that when we choose to worship Christ and be a slave to Christ, he frees us from our sins. So no longer am I a slave to sin, I'm a slave to Christ and I'm no longer a slave to the bondage of sin. And Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5, in Galatians chapter 5, speaking of freedom, verse 1, He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has freed us. Stand fast in the liberty. Stay. Remain. Don't don't recede from the liberty that God's given us. And he says, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Don't go back to the bondage that he's freed us from. Too often... We put the, the spiritual ball and chain on ourselves. And, and, and though we've been freed from this thing, we'll put it back on our legs. We'll put the cuffs back on our hands. And it's like, what are you doing? You know Christ died so you can be free from that. And he's already freed you from it. Why do you keep returning to it? You know why? Because it's comfortable. It's what we've always known, at least before we met Christ. It's easy for us to turn back to the old lifestyle, at least on some scale. But we don't have to. We're freed from that. And there's no excuse. It's not the, well, you know, I'm a sinner, yada, yada, yada. We know we're all sinners and we know we're not perfect. But when we choose sin, we're choosing bondage for ourselves. We don't have to make that choice. It's a choice on a daily basis. Many of you, probably all of you, have made a choice that I'm going to worship Christ with my life. But once again, it comes down to not just that one big decision. It comes down to daily decisions. In this moment... Am I going to be a slave to Christ or a slave to sin? In this moment, am I going to be free from bondage? Or am I going to put myself in a position that I'm in bondage? It's it's a choice every single day, every moment throughout the day. Because worship ultimately in the Bible is a condition of the heart. It's an expression of the heart. It's where my heart and God connects, how I respond to the living God and the relationship with Him in my life. It's literally this. Do all things as unto the Lord. The things I say, the things I eat, um, the things I do, every single part of our lives is an act of worship. It's not just singing. It's not just singing praise music. Worship is a lifestyle. It's not just something that we do before service, but but again, with that lifestyle, it's, it's a decision that we make minute by minute, day by day. A bunch of choices. That's all it is. And that's what separates us between being free and being in bondage. So we have freedom to worship Christ, yes, in this country because of the decisions our forefathers made. But ultimately, our freedom is because of what Christ did on the cross. And that freedom is something that we can choose to experience every day, or we can choose to go back to the bondage. It's minute by minute. It's not just the one choice. It's many different choices. 
Are we exercising our freedom to the fullest degree? Are we really choosing to remain in Christ all throughout the day, decision by decision, to worship Him with our lives and experience the freedom that He wants for us? See, not only are we free to worship Christ, but we're also free to give Him thanks. And this is another big part of what Thanksgiving is obviously all about. This is the second point. We're free to give thanks to God. We're free to give thanks to God. Like it's a privilege that we are able to give thanks to God. It's not something that we just have to do in our prayer life. It's a privilege that we even, that Christ would die for us so that we could have access to God and we could even communicate to Him in prayer, part of that prayer, giving thanks to God. What are you thankful for? Right? This is an obvious Thanksgiving thing, right? And something that all of us often hopefully think about during Thanksgiving. But a lot of times we think about the big things. Like, I'm thankful that God provided for us to get new carpets and a new sign and do these things that we're doing. And I'm thankful for all of that stuff. And they're great things to be thankful for, but often the little things get neglected. Are we thankful for the little things? See, many of us, we tend to neglect thankfulness because we focus so much on what we don't have. I don't have the relationship that I want, whether it be with my wife or my husband. Hey, I'm single and I want a relationship. I want to get married uh, eventually. Uh, I, I'm focused on the fact that I don't have that spouse. Uh, I want a family. I want to start a family, uh, but I don't have a family of my own. Uh, uh, I want the. I want a house. Uh, I want a car. I want a better job. I want more opportunities. And it's so easy for us to get focused on the negative but it's just as easy to focus on the positive. What do you have? What do we have? Well, all of you are alive, right? As far as I can see, every single one of you are alive. And you probably got some friends. You might not be the coolest friends, but you got some. Most of you, probably all of you have And most of you probably have a family. Maybe not the best family, but probably not the worst family either. But you got a family and other people, they don't have families. You likely have food on the table. Nobody looks like they're starving in here. Okay, I could be wrong. Nobody looks like it. Many have jobs, maybe not all. Roof over your head. All these different things, and it's easy for us to neglect giving thanks to those little things. But it's important to be grateful for the little things. And there's a woman in the Bible that I just love. I love this story. In Matthew chapter 15, she expresses this heart of thankfulness in a very creative way to the Lord. This dialogue is very interesting. We've taught on it in the past, but to summarize it, and then I'll read a couple verses, uh, this woman, her daughter is severely demon-possessed. Uh, so she comes to Jesus, and she's, uh, she's like, hey, uh, I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus ignores her, and then he gives her a couple rude comments. And then the dialogue continues, and it says in Matthew chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, I was not sent except the, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And she's a Gentile. He's like, I wasn't sent to help you. I was sent to help Israel. He's just testing her faith. In verse 26, it says, but he answers it and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. 
not hard. Anything, Lord, anything you'll give me, I'll be grateful for. I'm not asking to sit at the table and have a feast with you. I'm content with the breadcrumbs. Any little breadcrumb blessing that you'll give me, I'm good with that. If you could just do something to heal my, I'm good with that. I'm not asking for a new house or a new car or or life to change completely. I'm just asking for a little something, a little breadcrumb blessing. And it's important for us. To have the mentality to really consider the breadcrumb blessings in our life. The little things that we do have. Because it's not about what we don't have. It's about what we do have. You will always meet someone in your life that has more than you. Okay? You'll always meet someone in your life that has more than you. But I hope that you have the privilege to meet people that have less than you too. And I know, and as well as people in this room, uh, I've had the privilege to go to... Uh, quite a few third world countries and spend decent amount amounts of time there from El Salvador to Belize to Guatemala to to, to Liberia and quite a few different places and, and I love those places uh, but when you look at the people and their lifestyle you know we're talking about some of these places they're living in mud huts with no flooring bugs everywhere the food that they have rats sometimes like stuff that you wouldn't really want to eat some of the things that they have their provision and what they're grateful for it is so small compared to what we have it is so small and they're so grateful for anything like we're talking about a tin roof and they're like oh my gosh like provision from god this is amazing it's easy for us to always focus on what we don't have. But when we're able to encounter people that have so much less than us, and they're grateful for it. They're not complaining about it. They're grateful for the little that they do have. It produces something in us. I hear people complain in the United States about the economy all the time. Okay? Minimum wage. What is it right now? 10, 11 bucks? In El Salvador, you know what a good day's pay is? Eight bucks a day. Literally, that's a good day's pay, $8 a day. And people are complaining about 10, 11 bucks an hour. The point is in the United States, as much as I love our country, there's this selfishness because we have so much. We have so much. Very few people in these other countries will ever sit down and eat a Thanksgiving dinner like we will, like ever. Considering those things, these, these, this amazing abundance that ultimately God has provided for us, it should produce something in us. It should produce grateful hearts. And you know what happens? You know what happens inside of us when we have these thankful hearts, when we express our thankfulness to God? Let me show you. It's Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, which would be after First Chronicles, and after First and Second Kings. Second Chronicles, chapter five. Let me read it for you. Verse thirteen. Indeed, so the ark was brought into the temple. Okay. Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and 
thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord was filled with the cloud so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. They give thanks to God. They worship God. And what happens? The temple is filled with God's glory. New Testament tells us your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Truly, when we worship God with sincere hearts, when we give him thanks for the little things, for everything he does, he fills us with his glory. He fills us with his spirit. There's a direct correlation in the Bible between my sincere external expression of thankfulness and something that happens inside of me. It changes us literally our outward expression of thanks changes us from the inside out what do i mean filled with his glory yeah filled with the spirit when we're worshiping the lord sincerely when we're giving thanks to him sincerely we will be filled with the spirit how will you know the fruit of the spirit galatians chapter 5 verses 22 and 23 says the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long-suffering kindness goodness gentleness faith faithfulness and self-control these are character qualities that are produced from the holy spirit when we're worshiping god when we're giving thanks to god these character qualities are going to manifest themselves in our lives this is inevitable but when you start seeing covetousness and anger and bitterness and these other things coming out that are contrary to to the the is contrary to the fruit of the spirit guess what there's probably a direct connection between your lack of worship and those negative character qualities coming out in your life. When we're truly worshiping, when we're truly thanking God for what he does in our life, he literally changes us from the inside out. He fills our temple with his glory. And I just want you guys, me included, because this has been like very convicting for me. Before you eat Thanksgiving, that dinner tomorrow, I want you to remember how good you actually have it, even if you're by yourself, and hopefully that's not the case. But remember how good we actually have it, considering what other people are walking through in this world, the fact that we have so much to be thankful for. Because there's not a person in this room that doesn't have something to be thankful for. You got a roof over your head right now. We got an awesome church that, that, that we all get to be a part of. There's so many things to be thankful for even in this room alone. So if you can't think of stuff, I'll help you. Okay, I'd love to have a sit down and we'll just talk about all the things that you can be thankful for. But I really want you to consider these things. Not just the big things, but the little things. The little things that you don't even consider. The little things that we think we're entitled to. I deserve a big Thanksgiving feast, right? I deserve a good family. I deserve this. And I, you don't, we don't, I don't, we don't deserve any of it. So just consider some of those things as we sit down. It, it, not just the big stuff. Focus a little bit on the little stuff, the little stuff that you know in your heart you're not even really thankful for until you have to think about it. Like, wow, I have this and God didn't know me anything. The wages of sin is death. That's ultimately what we all deserve. But because of God's grace, he gives us so much more because he loves us so much. As we consider what we have and what others don't have. 
that should lead us to a place where we want to help others who are worse off than us. And, and this was a big part of what uh, Abe Lincoln instituted in instituting Thanksgiving. Uh, the primary focus, yes, was on God, but also on the people that were in need, the people that were suffering. Third and final point. It's a shorter teaching tonight. We're going to do a little something afterwards. We're free to help those who are suffering. We're free to help those who are suffering. Helping the needy isn't something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do as believers. Like we can't get in the mindset, the legalistic mindset that I'm a Christian. I need to just serve everybody and, and, you know, pretend like I enjoy it. No, no, it's a privilege. Like we freely get to help people like that's a privilege. See, Christ, he used his freedom in this world to do just that. To help the suffering. In fact, that's what he says he came to do. Let me show you. In Luke chapter 4, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus, in the beginning of his ministry, he goes into the synagogue and he quotes Isaiah chapter 61. It says, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But more importantly, I want to focus on what this actually says. Look at verse 17 for context. Luke 4 17. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. To do what? To preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Listen to what the Spirit of God empowered Jesus to do. Look at the people that he's helping here. Look, we got the poor... We got the brokenhearted, we got the captives, we got the blind, we got the oppressed. All suffering people. That's what Christ, in his freedom, as God, he said, this is what I'm going to do with my freedom. I'm going to use my freedom to help people. And you know what? For Christ, this wasn't a burden. It was an absolute pleasure. You know how I know that? Because he says it. In John chapter 4, he's helping one of these suffering people. You may know her as the Samaritan woman. Remember, Jesus has this encounter with this Samaritan woman at this well, and he confronts her in her sin, but he also uh, leads her to the truth of his identity, ultimately leading her to salvation. But after he has this encounter with the Samaritan woman, okay, she's looking for love in all the wrong places. She's been with many men. Jesus is telling her, hey, you're, you're looking for love in all the wrong places. You need to be looking for uh, love in God. How do you do that? Worship him in spirit and truth. So he gives her the solution to her problem. But after that, the disciples, as he's doing ministry, the disciples are doing what? They're going getting food, right? They're tired. They're checked out. We're going to eat. We're going to fill our bellies. And look what Jesus says. He has this dialogue with the disciples after this. Verse 33. Therefore, the disciples, <clears throat> the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus hadn't eaten anything. They just traveled many miles on foot. And Jesus says to the disciples, you know what? While you guys were eating food, I was eating spiritual food. While you guys were stuffing your faces in the marketplace, I was ministering to a woman. And guess who's more satisfied right now? I am. Jesus, he used his freedom to minister to suffering people and it brought satisfaction. It brought fulfillment. It brought purpose. See, 
We're free to help the suffering, but there's also freedom in helping the suffering. You see how there's both an external and an internal thing with this freedom? We're free to help the suffering, but there's also freedom in doing it. What's the freedom? Well, we get to free ourselves of our selfishness. I don't have to focus on myself right now. I don't have to think about myself right now because I'm thinking about this other person. And you know what the Bible says? That that's one of the secrets to joy. Not thinking about yourself and thinking about other people. Jesus gives us the privilege and the freedom to serve other people so we wouldn't be so miserable thinking about ourselves all the time. It's truly a freedom that in itself frees us. Now, if Jesus is the way and he shows us the way that we ought to live as human, as human beings, human boys or girls, um, human beings, <laughs> then, then we ought to follow his example. And he says this, hey, if you're mine, you're going to do this kind of stuff, right? He actually says it like this in Matthew chapter 25. We talked about this a few weeks ago. It's the separation of the sheep and the goats. But specifically, I want to focus on what Jesus says to the sheep. Matthew chapter 25. Verse 33, it says, and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, assuredly, I say to you, and as much as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. See, the Lord's heart is that his sheep would obviously follow his example and do the things that he was doing, taking care of those who are suffering, ministering, lending out a hand. And you know what I think we do generally as a, really well at this church? I think we do a really good job of this. Obviously, we could always do better, but you know, between food ministry um, and, and just some of the things that different people do in this church, I'll give you an example. I won't give you names. Uh, like today, I'm aware of several guys from our church uh, going and helping another family in our church chop wood all day long and you look at something like this and these guys they got full-time jobs they got big families they're they're really busy but they're doing something why not just because christ said that they should be servants they want to do it they want to do it why because they understand where christ is coming from when he says my food is to do the will of him who sent me there is a satisfaction there is a pleasure in helping those who are in need the lord he gives us this freedom so we can be free from ourselves but we don't always look at it that way i gotta serve no you don't have to you get to and the lord uses that to to, to free you and I understand in different situations, in different circumstances, um, there's limitations on what we can do, right? Uh, you could say schedules, you could say in the position that you're in right now, whatever. There, there are definitely some legitimate reasons in certain circumstances where you can say, hey, I really can't do this right now, or I really can't serve in this capacity. But can you pray? Can you pray for those that are suffering? Can you pray for those that are going through this difficult time, if you will? It's Hebrews chapter 13, 
in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3, he says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. We often don't think about how many brothers and sisters we have across the world that are going through different uh, circumstances, difficult circumstances, suffering on some level. Specifically in this text, he's talking about people that are being persecuted for their faith. Remember those in prison as if you were in their shoes. Empathize with them. Why? Because it's so easy for us to forget. As we mentioned earlier, we have freedom to worship Christ in this country with very limited persecution. Persecution still happens. Don't want to take anything away from that. But there are so many countries for, where people are literally being killed for proclaiming the name of Jesus. You literally have brothers and sisters across this world that are being killed for attempting to do what we do right in this very room, that are suffering on so many different levels. Do we pray for them? And honestly, I forget a lot. I get so focused on what I'm doing here and what my life uh, revolves around and yada, yada, yada. But it's that out of sight, out of mind thing. But the Bible says, hey, that's not okay. Remember them and, and empathize with them. Put yourself in their shoes. Imagine what they're going through. Look it up occasionally and see what's happening in the world. Appreciate the freedom that we have to worship Christ because that is a rare freedom in this world. It's easy to forget especially if we don't know. But when we're aware, maybe we can't do something physically about it. Go do ministry in the Middle East or Africa or wherever. But we can at least pray about it. Bottom line is Thanksgiving, ultimately, beyond the feast, is about giving thanks to God for the religious freedom that we have, for the freedom that He's given us in our faith. The freedom to, to worship Him. The freedom to, to, to give Him thanks. The freedom to, to serve and, and be obedient to His Word. That's not an obligation. That's a freedom too. Freedom exists in the confines of obedience to, to God's Word. That's, that's what actual freedom is. Freedom looks like obedience to Christ. And He wants that freedom for us. But we got to want it for ourselves. Now, I'm going to end tonight... I want us to get in groups, okay? Anywhere from two to five. You can't pray by yourself, okay? Um, so get with either one person or a few people. And, and I just want to, just like five minutes, maybe ten max, um, uh, I just want to get in groups and go around. If you don't feel comfortable praying openly, don't feel pressure to do it. Just join a group. Um, you don't have to pray openly. Uh, you can just pray in your heart. Uh, but those that are willing, you pray openly. Let's just let's just think about some of these things. What are the little things that we're thankful for that we never give thanks for? Uh, uh, considering what we have and others don't have, uh, how can we pray for others that are less fortunate, whether it's uh, practically, financially, uh, whether it's food or whether they're being persecuted for their faith, regardless of what the freedom is, and ultimately uh, thanking God for for the freedom that He's given us, not just in this country, but in our faith. Uh, so I'm going to pray real quick. I'll join a group too. If you guys just could get together after the prayer, we'll pray for a little bit. I'll come back up. Um, I don't know, do something to tell you. We can go home. Um, all right, let's pray. 
Lord, we, we thank you for the freedom that, that you've given us, and we thank you for the ability to give you thanks, God, and understanding what a privilege that is, that, that you're even willing to listen to us. Um, and Lord, I pray uh, that as we enter into some more prayer, we would, we would really think about some of the things that we, we often neglect, some of the things that we don't remember, maybe some things that we've never even thought about, Lord, and we would give you thanks for those things. At the same time, Lord, we would pray for those around the world that are suffering, uh, whether they're widows, orphans, um, whether they're, they're experiencing uh, poverty or, or, or some type of financial, physical drought, um, persecution, uh, so much going on in this world, and it's so easy for us to get focused on ourselves. Lord, I pray that we would have hearts of thanksgiving and, and those hearts would, would rub off on the people around us. As we see in your word, um, you truly change us from the inside out when we worship you and give you thanks. So uh, we ask that that would happen as well. We love you.